0: Chats. No, that's it. It's over. They they flipped a coin. Oh, hi. It's Pete Pomisano and I'm fine. We're all fine. Uh, I, I don't have anything else to say, uh, so I'm glad that I've got the inimitable Tony Chase here today, because his interview is comprehensive. It goes on to talk about his life and his loves and his careers, and... Uh, I I'm at a loss, so let's just let's just talk to Tony. Welcome to Off Road, Mr. Tony Chase. Welcome again for the umpteenth time to Off Road, Tony Chase. It's been a long time coming. Well, thank you. <laughs> I've threatened you with this <laughs> for a long time, and um, for those of you who don't know, Tony, have you been living under a rock? I don't oh. know. Preeminent theater critic, uh, historian, dramaturge, man about town, assistant. Wait a minute, wait,
1: are you still the chair of the department over there at Buff State? No, no, that was just while, while Anne emo was in Portugal, I, I got to step away from that. But I, you know, I, I'm i periodically department chair somewhere over here. <laughs> I, 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 I've done it for modern and classical languages. I've done it for interior design. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but are you assist- uh, assistant dean? I'm, a, I'm assistant dean. I'm yes. assistant dean okay. of I, arts I, I- and sciences. Uh, here at Buffalo State, which does include our theater department. Then you
0: are still, of course, teaching classes, and we'll get into all of that stuff I later am, on. I am.
1: I was just working on some. Homework questions regarding the Scottish play in which I'm going to be appearing for the department this year Yes, you are. When is that? Um, I, I, I really should check that. It's um, I don't know, March sometime. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I'll be ready. Uh,
0: I'm sure. Yes, I'm sure you will. But I'm, a lot of people are very, very excited about it.
1: Uh, I, well, I, I get killed in Act One, but uh, <laughs> I, I will be. I will
0: be old seaward also. Oh um, yes. There, well, there you go. Good. So you're not completely. Wasting the second act. You'll be there. You'll be around for the curtain call. No,
1: I get to gesture and herald the entrance of the head of Macbeth.
0: Lovely, lovely. Lovely,
1: yes. (laughs) So how many years is it with theater talk now? Over 20, 25, 20? Well, they celebrated 25 a few years ago. I guess we're coming up on 29 or 30. Holy cow. And I know, it doesn't seem possible. And people put these 10-year things, and I'm thinking, 10 years? That was last year. I just... um, Yeah. So anyways, your 29th year, was Theater Talk your idea? Tony Randolph at WBFO wanted to put me on the radio. Mm. And she brought me on initially solo to just do reviews. I don't remember. Was I writing for the Buffalo News then? Was I writing for Art Voice then? There's some... Um, simultaneity, but it was during this period of your life when things start to come together. And, you know, I was feeling very old and as if my life had, you know, passed me by. Um, I was probably 27, you know, 25. <laughs> I know. Your life was and, over. Uh, uh, my life is over. You know, if, <laughs> it, if it hasn't come together by the time you're, you know. <laughs> and I didn't like it. And I just, you know, I said, I, I'm a print person. I, I like what I do in print. And this is simply me reading what people could just read for themselves. And she said, well, what if we gave you a radio partner, someone uh, you could talk to? And I thought, well, like who? Yes. And she said, well, we've got a guy, he's a radio person, who's interested to do something like this. What if we teamed you with Jim Santella? Ah. Uh. Oh my God. You know, like Jim Santella, a legend of radio. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I said, oh, yes, yes, I will. I will do. I don't care. You know, I, I will do Jim Santella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Starstruck that I will talk to Jim Santella. You know, this is one of the people who invented FM radio. He certainly he did. Just, just this incredible
0: person. WPHD in Buffalo and others.
1: And and so Jim and I started to do the show and we hit it off right away. and, Odd things, you know. We're, we're arranging to go in to Allen Hall on the Main Street campus of UB at the time, and we're trying to coordinate the schedule. Where where do you live? Um, I, I live on LaSalle Avenue. So do I. We lived across the street from each other and had for <laughs> years and had no idea. Because I didn't know him and he didn't know me. And, you know, we aware of each other somewhat. But we started to, uh, we became great friends.
0: Never bumped and, into each other when you were out shoveling snow or anything? Uh, no,
1: no, Isn't never. Isn't that existed. interesting? Well, I rented. I didn't shovel the snow. Just into the back of the house <laughs> and up the stairs. But then, of course, his mother adopted me and she was quite a great cook. And she would always Aww. make extra and just say, you know, there's a little kuchadari at <laughs> Christmas or a little extra soup that she'd make. or oh, yeah, That nice young man with a good appetite across the street I would be I would be the beneficiary so basically I just talked about the theater with Jim and he did all the work and then in the last we did a long time too it's it's not as if we did that a short term like 20 years something like that and then Jim began to teach me anything I know about radio yes Um, beginning with respect for the listeners that um, when, when they tell me don't talk inside baseball which they every few months feel the need to do I just remember you, you little administrator, you're not my listeners, and I know I'm not going to talk down to my Mm -hmm. listeners. I'm going to trust that if you're listening to public radio, you probably can read. And (laughs) you have have probably been to the theater, and you might know who Ethel Merman was, and you, you may have even read Hamlet. And also to remind me that radio is an intimate art form that you are in people's car, Mm -hmm. sometimes their kitchen, sometimes their bathroom, sometimes the shower, sometimes their bed. Sometimes they wake up in the morning with you or or, or go to sleep at night with you. And it is a very personal relationship. As if you're talking to an individual, not speaking to the masses, you are speaking to a person. Right, and I'm always speaking to an individual, which is another reason why it's very helpful Um, It was to have Jim and now to have Peter Hall, because I'm talking specifically to someone right there, but also they are standing in for individual radio listeners all over Western New York and Southern Ontario, and that I am talking to everybody individually, and I want them to know about the theater, and I want to increase their ability to enjoy the theater.
0: Well, we have jumped ahead to 29 or 30 years of the most recent history, but let's I forgot to mention, of course, you are most famously husband to the world-famous Javier Bustillos, man about town. World-famous in the
1: theater district, both of us, yes. (laughs) uh, You want to talk about how you two met? Well, this always comes up, and it's interesting because I have had nothing to do with his theater producing Mm -hmm. except having appeared in a show or two for him, and he's had little to do. He is my best critic. And uh, we met at the University at Buffalo. Yeah. It's funny, you know. right to this, so early in the conversation, he was recently invited to speak to Buffalo State students uh, in a senior seminar. Annie Emo invited him to speak and she asked them to do research uh, before he came to be able to formulate questions. So she's expecting that they're going to research Buffalo United Artists, they're going to look and see what shows they have done over the past 30 years. That they're going to see which shows he's directed. They're going to ask how he chooses plays, how he casts, how you know how to get involved. No, nope. well, of course, no. They Google him, and first thing out of the box is they find that he married me in Cheetah Rivera's dressing room on Broadway. <laughs> they find that a Buffalo Spree article where we were called you know, B- B- Buffalo's uh, power couple yes, and yes. and and were made Spree's best power couple and a big interview with us. And so, all of their questions are about his marriage to me. (laughs) And she had to explain to them that that was perhaps a little inappropriate and that they needed to ask, and she allowed them one question about that. So that being said, you are immediately asking about my relationship to Javier. <laughs> well,
0: I just, for the, again, for those people who have been living under a rock and haven't known your entire history, I, I also wanted to cover the fact that
1: you were married to this famous man. And uh... Right. Well, famous, we are world famous in one block of the theater district. That's right. The, That's right. Where, where, where his name is in pavement. You know, he has a star <laughs> on, the, on the Walk of Fame. Yes. Um, we, we met at UB where we were both graduate students. I see. And back in those days, this is the 1980s, there was no internet, there were no cell phones, there was there was no social media of any kind. There was no Facebook, there wasn't even MySpace. There was nothing. And gay bars were an enormous phenomenon and Quite interesting in the geography and the history of Buffalo's theater district because there is an overlap between those worlds, but it meant that a lot of gay activism remember Stonewall was a bar mm-hmm. that a lot of gay activism socializing the whole world of gay life largely centered around the consumption of alcohol, which is in and of itself problematic you know terrific you know get together at a bar but so there, there was a an effort to create other social interaction possibilities. And so they would do coffee hours, music nights, things like this. And we both ended up meeting there at UB. What was Javier doing at UB at that time? Working on a PhD in linguistics. Uh, Javier, is, Javier, Javier is a Fulbright scholar. He came here to enter the prestigious linguistics program at the University of Indiana Bloomington. And then after the Fulbright transferred over to uh, University at Buffalo. I see. There was a you know, very strong linguistics department. In the nineteen eighties, at UB, I don't know, may still be, but mm-hmm. uh, certainly, certainly that would have been tra- attractive to someone even from South America. Even he would have heard of it from South America. Well, if like you were it. looking, if you were looking at American universities, yes, yes UB had a, a highly regarded program.
0: Now I have to take you back because I, I want to know how all of this started, and I know, I know you're just like, from a small town, you know, in the Hudson Valley area. Where, where exactly do you hail from originally? Fishkill, New York. Which is where?
1: It's halfway between. Beacon in Glenham?
0: <laughs> Means nothing to me. <laughs> you dog. <laughs> you, you couldn't have said. You know, any more obscure names. It's
1: about 50 miles north of New York City and the Hudson River. It's near Hyde Park and Poughkeepsie.
0: <laughs> and did you have a big fan? Hey, how's Bobby
1: doing in Buffalo, by the way? Is she regretting her? Uh, her, her oh, she's, she's loving Buffalo. Um, all my relations. My, my even Speaking more famous, of famous people, even, even more my famous. Sister. Yeah, my sister is Bobby Chase, the only woman ever to have the title editor-in-chief at Marvel Comics. There are people falling over right now right, right, with yeah. excitement. Uh, Right. She was the, introduced the first gay superhero. She did the first AIDS plot line in a, in a, in a comic book, which was The Incredible Hulk. Um, oh. she did turn the Hulk who had been gray for a while back to green.
0: Uh, thank goodness. Uh, I have, goodness. Goodness. I have
1: a comic book where the Hulk is gray. Yeah, I have one a, of those original ones. Yeah. She put a stop to that. She put um, a, For good reason. She had then gone to DC Comics after a, a few years in Scandinavian children's book company. But, um, She was vice president at uh, Warner Brothers uh, in charge of global initiatives and new talent development for DC Comics. Uh And um, during COVID, Warner Brothers let about 20,000 people go. I don't think that's an exaggeration, just Mm -hmm. a lot of people and rather decimated all of the senior talent at DC Comics, which they may come to regret. But at any rate, in the first five that she was one of the, the most senior. And so they gave her... Uh, six months, then a then severance, and then off she went. So she decided to move back east. We're not from, we're not from Buffalo, but I reminded her that you know you have your brother and brother-in-law in Buffalo, and so they looked at houses here, and were astonished. You know, selling a house in in Los Angeles to buying a house in Buffalo. Yes. It's right. So they got this gorgeous place, um, <laughs> which they've recently learned Cher lived in. <gasps> Cher lived in this house for five months in 1978, from July to November, when her then-husband, Greg Allman, was Greg in the for, for, for drug rehab. Yep. So my sister bought that house with its 40-foot pool and its you know, gajillion <laughs> bedrooms and bathrooms and fireplaces. and Really nice for New Year's Eve, let me tell you. She bought it sight unseen, mind you. She had not seen it. Oh my goodness. But since coming here, she got hired as editor-in-chief, executive editor, at Webtoons Unscrolled. Webtoons, which is apparently colossal in Asia, Korea, everywhere. Oh, my goodness. And they are doing print publications, and she was hired. And that office is out of Toronto, so she's just stilling in, here in Buffalo, going up there from time to time. Oh, terrific. Yeah. Then my brother-in-law was just hired as the assistant volleyball coach from a college. So go, <laughs> go Mavericks. Go Mavericks. <laughs> Oh, That's
0: wonderful. I I thought you were going to say she's loving her retired life here in the easygoing, you know. Oh, no, you in, don't know my sister, do you? <laughs> no, I, I do not. But I, I look forward to meeting her sometime. Right, right. Oh my goodness. Well, well, terrific. And uh, you know, again. <laughs> We've gotten off of the subject of Tony Chase, and we're talking about Bobby Chase.
1: Anyone else I'm related to or married to you'd like well, to talk about? Uh, yeah. Yes. Let's, let's, well, do you have any my other parents, siblings? i would like to know about my parents. I, now, do, I
0: do want to know about your parents. I want All to know right. who started you down this road. Let's
1: talk about your parents for a second. Well, my parents met through the theater. My parents went to uh, Albany State Teachers College, where they majored in um, theater and English or library study, whatever they did in those days. And mm-hmm. they met when my father was in HMS Pinafore playing Dick Deadeye and my mother was the wardrobe mistress, <laughs> and that is how they met. And one of their classmates was Harold Gould, who was in The Sting. He yes, played he Ro- was. His father. I, re- I can he, picture he, him. He, he played um, Rose Nyland's boyfriend, Golden Girls. And he and my father went out for radio auditions and how Gould got offered a job at every single radio station they auditioned for. And my father got two. (laughs) (laughs) So my father kind of decided that, um, you know, maybe that was not what he was going to do. And, Mm -hmm. um, went into education, uh, though he had been in My Sister Eileen. He played one of the Brazilian dancers um, in My Sister Eileen. Very good-looking. My father's very good-looking, as was my mother. I had good-looking parents. And among my earliest childhood memories are of them dancing with the Dutchess County Ballet, oh my where my mother would sometimes also be a wardrobe mistress or a makeup artist. And uh, so I spent a lot of time as a very small child backstage at the ballet. And uh, that is formative in your mind, the excitement oh, of the theater. And as exciting as the ballet is from the audience, the energy backstage... The machinations uh, going
0: on behind the scenes have to
1: Unbelievable. Be- yeah. And, of course, my memories are rather 19th century because it was a... They performed in a building, a WPA high school, Wappingers um, Junior High School, which had one of the... It was one of these WPA theaters, which is gorgeous, but it had sandbags, actual the counterweight system was sandbags mm-hmm. on ropes. And I remember the thrilling moment when you know, they didn't always check. Those ropes needed to be checked. And if you didn't, extraordinarily dangerous. Oh, well, they would Not rot. Like, and I watched as a, a dancer got up from a chair, a, a folding, one of those gray folding chairs, you know, the kind, yes, metal, I mean. all metal, got up from it and walked to the, out the wing and a sandbag fell, <gasps> free fall onto the chair in which she had just been sitting and flattened at the floor. Oh, how horrifying. Well, I was enchanted, but I was, you know, (laughs) I I, I was um, quickly, like, lifted and ushered out of the place. It's like a little little later. Then they did question, should I be hanging out backstage as if there were any stopping me, but... But I can also remember watching costume changes where frequently the costume changes for a corps de ballet, you you come off stage as one character and you have to go on looking completely different, including a tutu with a bodice and the tights, which would have to be a different color. So I can remember tights being shredded off of the body of a dancer as another pair put on so that she can go out to the music as if nothing has happened. And I can remember stage management to run a resistance board, a lighting board, it's not like com- today's computerized board. It required physical yep. strength to operate a resist. Yes, you, you your whole body pulling mm-hmm. it down, like like you're in, you know, Fritz Lang's Metropolis, running the equipment. You know, <laughs> it, it, very much like that. Yes. So, so I can remember. I remember her name, Beverly Sowers, and this is probably 1964, 65, 66 one of the stage managers but she was the she was the stage manager the music was recorded but she had the score with the cues written in the score because for the ballet the stage manager must be able to read music uh-huh. as she is giving cues to the music and i'm just watching this extraordinary woman giving instructions to these burly guys who are operating the lighting system. And just, I remember the the, the music of the Nutcracker, for example, or Firebird, which very, very dramatic because Stravinsky's score, Yes. her, you know, ordering these guys about and that happening. But these are my formative memories of the theater. Um, That and a subscription to the Poughkeepsie Children's Theater, uh, which performed five times a year and which always had the same master of ceremonies who was a jester character named Pockets. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Pockets would come out and talk to the children and tell us what we were going to see, and then we would see the play. And th- these were magical. Once a year, they would also book the Prince Street Players, and the Prince Street Players would, would perform. And I-, I saw them, but I, I saw local productions. I-, I think my favorite of all was Emil and the Detectives. Uh, oh, which which involved a lot of running through the audience and a you know, woman with a birdcage and people on a train and just the the, the ma- magical invention of of all of Paris from nothing you know just very very exciting and I remember it when you were backstage at the ballet now that's because of your mother is that correct yes except when my father if my father would would dance my father would be I he, I remember him and. Nutcracker, and I remember him in Graduation Bowl, which is a ballet ballet based on Strauss waltzes, in which he danced a comic mazurka with my mother and had to lift her, which was quite startling seeing your parents like that. I bet. (laughs) Nobody
0: said, hey, wait a minute, this kid shouldn't be here, or only only when the sandbag fell. Were you just a standard sight behind the scenes?
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, here she comes and she brought Tony with her and the dancers treat you lovely you know oh, do I'm beautifully sure. they just do when you're five and adorable and i'm sure to- totally totally into it oh, yeah no yeah.
0: so you saw all the backstage magic from a very very young age it's no right. wonder you turned out the way you did to have this incredible love for theater, because you were right there, you know, as you said, in your formative years, you were in the middle of it.
1: Yeah. Did you? What about other siblings? Were other siblings also dragged along to this? I guess I was the right age. My sister would be. Da- my sister danced. She was enrolled in the ballet school. So was my brother. So was I. Eventually, mm-hmm. we all danced. They stuck with it longer. Um, they also received piano lessons, which I never did. Mm. Um, I don't know why, but you know, when you're third, the older ones are a little bit. Off on their own. There are four of us: my brother who publishes the federal budget, uh, worked for the White House, um, and my sister Elise, who is a landscape designer in Westchester. And you were third. I was third. Yeah. So the others are a bit older. The I see. youngest is not not yet born, or or you know a baby at home. But um, and, and Bobby was the youngest. She's the youngest. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay.
0: So you fit. Just so happened that you fit right into the proper slot at the right age, where you weren't going to school. Mom had to bring you along. Right. Your older, your older siblings all had things to do.
1: They had activities, yeah. They had activities, and Bobby was a baby. So, yeah, during the, it was a very formative period of time. Sure. And then right away in school, if there was a play, I always wanted to be in it, always wanted to work on it. You know, If there was a puppet show, I always wanted to make the puppets. I wanted to make the scene changes. I remember going to the 1964 World's Fair to the Belgian village, and uh, I remember everything about that day, including the identification, which was taped onto my... Undershirt, Justin, because you know, in case you were lost, there were no cell phones, you couldn't, you know, no. probably, you know in case I was lost, they could right. find me again. And Hi, my name is Tony, my yeah, parents right. are here, my telephone number, number yep, right. Because you know, though I did attend the 1964 World's Fair and do remember the Belgian village and seeing the Piet and do, do, doing the, the Ford exhibit, you know, all of that, I was there as well, but I was older, you were there as older. well. But uh, there was a there was a Punch and Judy show at mm-hmm. the uh, 1964 World's Fair in the Belgian village and it mesmerized me I just thought this was fantastic and it also had an aunt and uncle who were professional puppeteers the Herrick marionettes out of Kingston New York and they toured up and down Hudson Valley and did the Duchess County Fair with the most beautiful exquisite 1930s style marionettes which means actually in human proportion they looked like miniature human beings on wow. the puppet stage and that was magical
0: Oh, I'm sure that all of this is magical <laughs> for a child yeah. that age to be yeah. exposed to all of that. So, you know, my original question was, when, when did this theater bug bite you? But obviously it's it, it's practically from the womb because your parents had this history.
1: Right. Well, and, and the puppets were also major. I still have a, a great interest in puppetry. And because they were my aunt and uncle, mm-hmm. I would go backstage and I would be able to see these marionettes up close or go to their house and see the shop and see them be built. And um, hear my Uncle Ron talk about, you know, how am I going to turn a pumpkin into a coach? And me thinking about, how would you turn a pumpkin into a coach? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. remember writing him a letter with diagrams. And you know, you could do it like this. You could do <laughs> it like this. Oh, how terrific. Yeah. yeah
0: Did you I'm involve just... yourself in, in all sorts of elementary school and then high school production? Always,
1: always, yes, yeah. always. And, and always, always on stage? Yes. Always, okay. I, until I get to college, you know, and then you realize that, well, perhaps at, uh, you know, the age of 17 and 120 pounds, I was not quite right for Petruchio, you know. <laughs> but I was the best they had at John Jay.
0: Sure. So you kept, you kept the interest going all the way through elementary school, all the way through high school, and then you go to Trinity in Hartford, Connecticut, which right. is preeminent New England liberal arts
1: college. Was there a particular choice to go there? I wanted to go to Wesleyan, and my high school guidance counselor, who had also been my sister's guidance counselor, said, no, you don't. I see. (laughs) Um, End of story. I didn't apply to Wesleyan, and I did apply to Trinity, and I was looking for a small college in a city within proximity to New York City or Boston, but not in New York City or Boston. And Trinity just kind of ticked all of my boxes, and they had a theater program, and it was a small enough theater program that I knew that I would... um, I, I I was smart enough to know that when you get to college, yeah, you pl- you played the leads in the high school shows, right? But so did everybody else, right? So did everybody else. So so at Trinity, I was a double major in theater and English, and I was the. For my senior year, I was named President's Fellow in Theater Arts, and, yes. but I won public speaking prizes. And, but I'd also gotten very involved in the English department and with literary analysis, and in those days, psychoanalytic and semiotic criticism, which was you know, very much in vogue. Those were the intellectual movements of the moment. Mm-hmm. And my teacher was a woman very early in her career who subsequently became very famous in the field, a woman named Kaja Silverman. And she was out of Brown, had been teaching at Yale before coming to Trinity, would go on to Berkeley, to Penn. There isn't a prestigious award she hasn't won and author of many books. But I knew her when she was fairly newly out of graduate school and took seven courses with her and was her teaching assistant and went to Italy with her studying Italian cinema, studying film theory. And so I had a lot of heavy duty theoretical education and and classical education. You
0: came to Buffalo to earn your Ph.D. in English? No. At UB, or no? I
1: did do that, but that's not why I came to Buffalo. Okay, that's the, that's the real question I want to know. I, yes, why did you come to Buffalo? Because my brother lived here, and I had finished my undergraduate degree, plus a graduate program in, in Rome, Italy, with Kaja Silverman, and didn't know what to do. And I had seen how my parents had tried to take over my brother's life before me and did not want that happen to me. I saw them <laughs> sort of closing in. And so I said to my brother at Christmas, nineteen eighty. Take me with you, and he did. Uh, and what was your brother and doing in Buffalo? My brother worked for the Boy Scouts, the Niagara Frontier Boy Scout Council. I see. So, so mm-hmm. he was your uh, uh, entry
0: point to Buffalo. To Buffalo, and so you investigated UB
1: and decided that would. After coming here, I did. They did yes. have a very
0: strong, very strong English department at the
1: time. They well, no, they had had one about ten years before I got there, and were still coasting on that reputation. Yes. With Leslie Fiedler and... Uh, uh, Leslie uh, was still there and I did get a course, I did take a course with Professor John Barth, Fiedler. was he still, was he there? No, he, he was not here. It Robert was Creeley was here in Robert name Creeley. only. But there were um, sort of a generation of people who only got tenure because Vietnam was on. Uh, and it, it seemed compatible. I was in Buffalo because of my brother. There was a state university here. I applied, was sort of, shocked to be admitted with a full fellowship and free ride through wonderful well yeah but then i mistakenly also thought that they had um, a film program because i was not clear about the difference between media study which they had which was highly regarded and just sort of the spent out english professor who is a movie buff so fancies himself a film person (laughs) and um probably because they're too lazy to read anymore (laughs) so i had a couple of those and i was aghast because I had, I had studied with Kaja Silverman, I had known Bertolucci, I had known Liliana Cavani, I had you know, I'd read everything. And, and to get there and to realize, oh my God, I am better educated than the people with whom I'm supposed to be studying. And they became, uh, one in particular, quite hostile. And uh, I was too young to know how to navigate that. And it was, a, at the beginning, a horrible experience. Hmm. Ron Emke and I were there at the same time you can interview him for him for corroboration Um, oh I believe you and it was rather homophobic also the atmosphere at UB at the time Uh uh-huh oh really okay shocked
0: yeah well I Uh. shouldn't be shocked I'm just uh, aggressively homophobic
1: oh no these were liberal people
0: oh I see I see what was I thinking Mm.
1: Mm -hmm. who knew me better than I knew myself and who um, Uh told me I shouldn't write about that so much I see. And, and to make matters even worse, um, unknown to me, this professor was having a romantic relationship, and I use the word romantic euphemistically, with a woman in our class. Uh, And I did not know this, and as I became increasingly frustrated with this man's lack of education, lack of preparation, I would complain bitterly in a study group I had joined, not knowing that this woman in my study group was sleeping with him. Oh, dear. And so she would go back and report every single thing I said. And then in class, he would become inexplicably pointed and humiliating. Well, you know, I had enough strength and resolve to endure this, but not to endure it while staying in the program I left. And so, um, and Ron Emke didn't finish at that time either. And that would not be the last time in my life or career that a heterosexual person had seen the world through that lens a lens in which heterosexuality is a norm an invisible norm and my sexual orientation or my relationship with my boyfriend then husband was an anomaly to be dealt with Uh, that has certainly informed my my worldview inevitably sure for good reason yes so tony had you no
0: connection with theater during this time while you were there at UB. When did the theater aspect of your,
1: when did it come back? I was always very interested in theater. One of the first things I did was volunteer and then work small jobs at, uh, for Brianna Weiss and uh, at the, at the Playhouse. At a certain point, you know, it seemed like forever, but within a couple of years, I got picked up by the Buffalo News um, to string and this was the early 90s.
0: How did that happen? I'm, so, I'm sorry, but how did that happen? That You say you got picked up. Were you writing elsewhere? Did they did they hear samples I was of you? Ri-
1: I, was, I was writing for UB Publications.
0: Okay, so they saw that, and that was sort of an audition of, of sorts. Yes.
1: And that's how they... What happened to Theater Week? I thought you were writing for Theater Week at some point. I did begin to um, market my pieces to Theater Week. I don't remember if that came before or after. It might have come before. Okay. But I wrote to Theater Week, and... Um, I think the first article I did for them was about the International Women Playwrights Conference, I see. which which came to Buffalo, and I wrote about that. Were you still in UB when... when yeah, I was you... still in UB. I was still a student when all was this was happening. But Javier and I went to the theater all the time, and mm-hmm. back when we had no money, we were you know, earning $3,500 a year, sure. 3500 I said, per year and living <laughs> on it, and um, renting an apartment on Prin- and with the old Princeton apartments, $160 a month. And uh, even though the frost formed on the inside of the walls... And uh, we got a dog for the heat, and uh, <laughs> that uh, gosh! I don't think but, you're but, kidding uh, either. Back then, there's the the Arts Council, and um, they had vouchers to help subsidize your theater going, and so we ads had, vouchers. They yes, they had ads vouchers, and we would see shows for as cheap as possible, and you know, volunteer to usher here or there w- once or twice. Didn't really like doing that, but mm. uh, and I, I still have a, a great fondness for the cheaper seats in a house. That uh, you know, do, you, do you have a rear balcony? Over in this theater. You got a standing room at this theater. <laughs> that I don't care. Uh, just get me in the building. I just want to <laughs> see as much as possible. We're sold out. Is there a way to be inside that building at eight o'clock tonight?
0: Any place? <laughs> yeah, I'm just standing over. In, I'll stand I, outside the
1: restroom. Can I attend bar? Can I? You know, That's what can right. I do? Just you know, is there? I, I need to be in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I sold out. You know, how do you get in there? Somebody's getting in there. Some, yeah. sc- some subscriber has died can i
0: you were not to be denied no question right. about it Well,
1: what is needed to be there cuz yes. it's the live it's the live theater i can't wait for it to come out on on yes uh, on netflix
0: no no you couldn't no, so no. Buff- so the buffalo news picks you up as you said and at the time were you as a critic at that point or were you doing feature stories
1: or what were you doing critic back in those days because the courier express had newly folded and so they were doing two reviews of everything, and so they needed uh, quite a few. And so, yes, I was brought on as a stringer, and the second stringer, typically, which in itself became a problem, Mm. because. I, I don't know if people are really aware of this, but it's rare to have the caliber of critics that they would have at the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, the LA Times, the Washington Post. Typically, at a daily paper, where there still are daily papers and where they still do theater reviews, it's basically who at the city desk wants the free tickets for Friday night. Uh, and then, of course, you know, there are certain things that everybody in the world knows everything about. Everyone's an expert on the theater and education and, you know, anyone can do it, right? right. Well, when you have the contrast of someone who actually knows what they're talking about, it began to be problematic very early on because the editor in those days um, there were these men who were very, very proud of a very significant accomplishment, which was that they had invented gusto, which is one of Buffalo News's terrific contributions to this region. It's been a little slim lately, oh. but, but gusto was one of the things that my brother had used to lure me to Buffalo. He showed me, you know, this is what's happening in Buffalo. It was Don't 40 pages using... at that point. Yeah, it's like go through this and, you know, this isn't this a place you would like to live, look, and I look like, what's? Happening. Wow, yeah, right, right. This is what's happening in Buffalo. And so they were very proud of that accomplishment, even though they did not always have expertise in the arts that they were covering. I mean, that's not, you know, Jeff Maris is clearly an, an expert on, mu- on music in the contemporary music scene. He's sure. terrific. He's, he's, a, he's a, a, a gem, but um, in the theater, not so much. And in fact, previous to me arriving, Studio Arena Theater had complained at this situation because there had been what was his name, Artis Smith, Artemis Smith. Artemis um, had, Smith, yes. Had been a real theater critic, and when he was gone, it was just, who wants the tickets on Friday? So Blossom Cohen had complained to the news after production of The Dresser, which just, the, the guy thought, like Addison DeWitt, it was his job to trash things for the amusement of the readers, mm. which is one possible function of a theater critic, but not, not the one the theater was quite hoping for. Ironically, the very production in which Julianne Moore made her Equity debut... And the Buffalo News trashed it. Mm. He might later have wished that he had had the uncommon insight to recognize a star in the making, but he didn't. So they approached the editorial board and said that this is a significant theater town. We are a significant theater. We deserve a dedicated theater critic. Well, they should have been careful what they wished for because they simply, they didn't hire someone from outside. They simply advanced someone from the city desk to be the theater critic, and that's what happened. So with me coming in, having been born into a family obsessed with the theater, having been obsessed with the theater since birth, birth, having viewed everything in my world through the lens of theater and film, when I was the second stringer, my reviews would arrive being better informed and looking like a corrective to the first review, Uh, which did not endear me to my seniors. I would imagine. So there was an awkward relationship because I felt, you know, I'm devoted to the reader, to vote to the truth of my opinion and then after that Javier began with b u a yes producing his own theater in a theater renting a theater space which was controlled by the girlfriend of the very editor for whom i was writing and so this was kind of episode number 2 heterosexual couple and th- that was a, a difficult moment a, a difficult moment also for me
0: yeah, deja vu a moment, uh, to say the least. Hmm. So it did not get past others
1: around. the The, the readers knew well, and then and then then people would go and say to these other writers, "Oh, that Anthony Chase, who is he? What well, can you tell me about him? He's terrific." And to their perception, well, he's this kid. <laughs> yeah, you know what? 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 Yeah. What's the fuss? And and particularly since the house style was these sprightly journalistic prose and clever turns of phrase, and clever puns, which they thought was mimicking variety or something. And so they were these very sprightly and amusing to read reviews using lots and lots of metaphors, and lot, you know, um, which into this day, I don't like, you know, a happy confection of cotton candy. And it's like, you know, <laughs> I don't write that way. And I don't try to write pull quotes. That's all they were writing was pull quotes because they thought that's what criticism is. And then in one instance, I was, you know, lamenting, having to review a certain something, feeling I was not adequately knowledgeable. And this other person said to me, oh, you know, there was this, they did these anthologies, like little encyclopedias and she said, Oh, you know, you just, you know, there's crib notes here and then you can fake it. I went, <laughs> um, the look of shock on my face. Stunned, yes. Uh, just, what? Your readers think that you have an informed viewpoint. yes. You know, if I don't know, I'm going to confess this is the first play of this genre I have seen, you know, so that they don't think that I have a, I have, there there is no authority of opinion, but that, that I have a, they are entitled to know when I have experience and when I don't. Otherwise, why is my opinion in the paper? Well, the answer to their, because they write so amusingly. I thought, well, lots of people are, uh, write amusingly. That is not the requirement of a theater critic, and I, in fact, self-consciously try not to write amusingly.
0: Well, what is your philosophy of of reviewers?
1: What do you look at it at? How do you see your role? Well, I would see my role very different here if I was suddenly abruptly hired by the New York Times, which is unlikely to happen for many for many reasons. But it's a different market, a different audience, a different a different function. Yes, Buffalo where plays are on from usually typically from three to five weeks, where national tours have already been vetted previous to getting here and where local productions are locally produced on a shoestring so that our audiences can get to see things like Tribes, like Lifespan of a Fact, Mm -hmm. can get to see serious drama like Waiting for Godot, that I try to inform the public that it's happening and give them some estimate of its quality but also the tools to be able to enjoy that theatrical experience. Because I'll tell you something, no matter how bad it is, the majority of the audience is going to like it, that they have gone with a different purpose from the critic. And they are not looking to me to, to, well, I had a wonderful time. No, you didn't. Well, if you did, it's because you're stupid. No. Mm -hmm. I try to sort of describe, you're going to like this. If you like this kind of thing, this is what it is. And so people have often said to me that they learn to read between the lines with me. And they learn to know by what I don't say or the way I say something, this is for me or this is not for me. Yes. Or this was, you did like this, but I won't. Or I did like this, even though I can tell you didn't. And I think that to be able to help people make a decision, I hope usually to go to the theater, but to prepare them if they do go to enjoy the experience more deeply. And that, as I see, is my role. I don't see myself as quite the thumbs-up, thumbs-down tipster. I don't see it the way some friends of mine in other markets do. They feel they're obliged to help shut a show down for a Crime Against the American Theater. I don't think that that is my role. I see. And I think that I'm supposed to be sort of a guide and a help to the would-be theatergoer.
0: An encourager? Of course. If you like this, then you will like that and so on, but always in the back of your mind, your, your goal is to help encourage people to make good choices?
1: Well, yes, I wouldn't say, I'm not always encouraging people to go. Sometimes it's like, you know, if you have kids, take them. That's code for, if you don't, don't go. Yeah, I I hear you. (laughs) Right, right, Right. And rarely, 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 I mean, occasionally I may pull out that zing, but it's not, it's not my default place to go. I'm not seeking to do that, and I'm more likely to be withering by withholding approval. I found a quote from you that
0: might be appropriate at this point, and it's this. <laughs> we do not make a living from the theater. Everything you see us do is a public service, which kind of describes everybody in Buffalo Theater. But Who's the we? Who am I talking about in that? I have no idea. Uh, well, no. I, I actually, I think you meant yourself and Javier, Oh, but it—you know—it seemed to me like you were saying we're not making a fortune. We're not making money on this. We're doing it as a public service,
1: right? And what did you mean by that? I think that in, I'm helping sustain the arts in this community. I see. That I think that I'm helping sustain the arts, and I'm helping connect people to the arts mm-hmm. in this community. That and and uh, that's very important to me. That people have access to the arts. I think that for my life it's been, you know, why are we alive? And uh, looking back on every great civilization, what is it that we remember them by? Their art. And I I think that people should have access to good artistic experiences. I look at the people, for example, they bring to Buffalo because they're escaping some other place and whether they're from Burma or Somalia or Afghanistan and they put them in Buffalo and they sustain them for like three months. For three months, you're a refugee. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you're just another poor person living in a crappy apartment someplace in some undesirable neighborhood of Buffalo. And they're never concerned for their cultural need, not even, you know, cooking. I had represented the college going over to a a neighborhood community center where they had a vaccination program. They had a code exchange, which seemed a good idea. And they were having difficulty getting people to come to programming, and it was programming like how to file your taxes. I said, well, what do you have culturally? Well, bingo is very popular. Okay. Oh, really? And I'm looking out front and all of the signage is in Spanish, English, and Burmese. And I'm thinking, "Uh uh-huh, because these cultures have nothing to celebrate, right? Wrong. That I think I have an idea about how you could get people to come in here. And, you know, looking down at like the Pucho Olivencia Community Center where... You know, there's always a band down there or the Grease Pole Festival or some cooking thing going on or dancing and salsa dancing. And, and um, every culture has storytelling, and this frustrates me. It concerns me a little more that for years we've been telling you there's no succession plan at the Paul Robeson Theatre, mm. and now they haven't announced a season, and they're closed. This is alarming that serving a whole community, underserved community and neighborhood, there's nothing in the equation to serve that portion of the public, which I think really, really needs the arts mm-hmm. and really needs to see their own lives reflected, their own concerns reflected on the stage. That I think that it's it's very, very important. Now, it doesn't begrudge me the affluent audiences that are getting served. Yes, they deserve it too, but so does everyone.
0: Well, we've sort of taken a sidetrack here because I, uh, just because I think it's important, but it would be wrong if we didn't somehow talk about Art Voice. And when you left the news or... When you departed,
1: I was still at the news. I was still at the news. And because I'm a freelancer, I can write for anybody I want. I was still writing for Theater Week magazine. Mm-hmm. I had appeared in American theater, eventually in theater, Stages magazine, writing for a lot of places when you're a freelancer, that's what you do. And so Jamie Moses came to me. They had, he had come out with one issue. He and Amy had come out with one issue. And um, he asked, he had gone to UB Publications and had asked who is the best writer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That led him to my door. And so I looked at the publication, yeah, 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 right. That, okay, I'll give this a try. And it just went very, very well that that was a very influential paper for a very long period of time. Talk about a public service. I thought that that did a lot of, I think a lot of the art scene on all fronts that we enjoy in Buffalo today. The glue that held it together that helped it advance and gave it a voice was Art Voice.
0: And you were brought in as the theater editor. Yes. And what, was, what was your goal I'm sure it was very uh, connected to Jamie's goal, but what was your goal? I remember what last time we talked about this, that he pretty much said to you, what do you want to do that you can't do, or what do you want to do better? Or, or, right. What, what is was it, your you goal? Know, what,
1: what, what can you do for me that you can't do at the news? Well, the news had um, a history of, well, first of all, the editor there would seemed to keep the people with whom he was friendly under his own clip and then send you to the other things. I wanted to be able to write about everything, mm-hmm. and they would also censor my work, mm. and in ways that took me by surprise. Uh, for instance, I had an interview with Alfred who who is the author of Driving Miss Daisy, and I asked him about his background, and he talked about being Southern Jews, and he talked about the Jewish community of Atlanta, what it was like to be Southern and Jewish, and when it appeared in print some misguided copy editor had removed the word Jewish everywhere it appeared. The article <laughs> made no sense. How could it? Right. It was in a whole article about being Southern. It was like, no, he was specifically talking about being Jewish in the South. South, yeah. Gone. The person was very uncomfortable with that. Or they didn't understand the vocabulary of the theater. I remember there was kind of a disastrous touring production of The King and I starring, brace yourself, Rudolf Nureyev as the King of Siam. Okay. Which came to Buffalo and late, not just in Nereyev's career, but in his life. Uh, and he was not a musical theater person. No. And everything about it looked as if it was going to be thrilling, but it was done kind of on the cheap, and it didn't look good, it did not move well. And I said, what promised to be a thrilling, once-in-a-lifetime theatrical experience amounts to little more than a serviceable bus and truck. Which appeared in the Buffalo News as appears as a truck in need of service. Oh my God. In reviewing um, the cabaret's production of Lenny, um, in which Joyce Stilson played Honey Bruce, I had described her as all nipples and teeth, something like that. All teeth. (laughs) This is a review of Lenny. (laughs) The
0: irony, the irony of that. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Of being
1: censored. You know, Art Voice is not going to interfere with that, and and they didn't. But what happened, you know, eventually was that I was only writing for Art Voice, and mm. um, that, that was after a kind of an assassination. And, you know, there have been times when I've been a target. People tend to divorce the critical voice or just the existence in print. Less bad on radio, but in print it can be very bad because they read what you've written with their own voice, mm. and they can attribute just horrible, horrible personal qualities to you. And there was a period of time when we started getting hang up calls in the middle of the night, like three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning. And sometimes it would the person would make a sound and then hang up. Then eventually this person, a male voice started to say things. Then we got in our mailbox at our house, a letter with no return address, handwritten, very threatening in nature, homophobic in nature racist in nature, and we called the police, that this was um, quite terrifying. We, at this point, had no idea who hated us, why, what part of our lives this was coming from. It was people who knew who we were, where we lived, how to reach us day and night. This was the early, early 90s, so this was the early days of not just the internet, but email. And you may recall that in the early days of email, you had to sign, they did, it was like a to and a from where you put your name before mm-hmm. everything was automatic. and mm-hmm. Javier got at work a threat by email unsigned, but it very clearly came from a specific email address, which was a University at Buffalo email address. In those days, there was a stalking unit of the Buffalo Police Department, and we um, wrote a cease and desist with, the, with an attorney copying law enforcement, copying everyone. It was very upsetting. Do you know the terror that that caused in our lives? I never picked up a telephone again in my life Mm -hmm. until I was able to know who's calling. And even now, answer a telephone at night? No, in my life. People think, oh, you want to be famous. And okay, I'm not famous. I'm world famous in one square block of Buffalo. Mm -hmm. And I perceive myself to be helping an art form. Uh, I'm conscious, you know, talk about interpretation and and signification and meaning. Not everyone sees you that way.
0: Well, Uh I never heard that story before. okay there's one there's one
1: (laughs) okay the creation of the arties that is concurrent with the beginning of art voice that was uh jamie moses um you know what can we do what can we do to bolster this community to create a sense of community javier came up with the idea he said we need an awards show and jamie we just did it We just did did it it." and there were people who were no it's a bad idea it's like you know turns out in the fullness of time to have been a great idea it'll
0: never last
1: right it'll (laughs) never last
0: (laughs) And yeah. we and we just celebrated what anniversary? Thirty. Thirty, 30, 30, 30. years, amazing. Oh, Thirty, absolutely yeah. amazing. I don't know. Think I knew that it was Javier's idea. I think I knew that it, that Jamie was involved and that he had said yeah. we need to do something. And of course, you were involved.
1: It was definitely Javier's idea. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right. Well, let's let's <laughs> give him a pat on the back and and and, right. and and thank him for that. Okay. Well, listen, we should probably talk about what your connection at Buff State. Just very briefly, what are you teaching there now? We covered it at the very beginning. I know you covered history
1: of theater, antiquity, and the Baroque, and so on. And do you really enjoy doing this? Oh, yeah, I love teaching. I wish that, and we're going to be changing the curriculum. I would like to not do these general surveys, Mm -hmm. that uh, the students are smart enough here (laughs) That we could actually dig into something more deeply and I would like to and they would like to and 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 the department would like to. So we will be having some curricular change. But I've taught script analysis and I've taught history. I've also taught just writing for the college. I've taught the intro course, which I love to teach because for some people it's the first time they've ever thought about the theater. And a lot of students not realizing that entertainment products are a huge industry in this country. The second largest import of this country is entertainment products. Mm-hmm. And so our parents are saying, well, theater, what are you going to do with that? It's like, you're kidding, right? You're just <laughs> joking. That, that you, know, you know, it might involve leaving Buffalo, though less and less, mm-hmm. a lot of things to do in Buffalo. And skills from the theater that are transferable to anything, the ability to communicate, the ability to listen and to analyze and to tell a story, to get people involved in something, to collaborate, to meet deadlines. Who wouldn't want that? But yeah, I enjoy teaching that very much. So I've been here since 89, where I began as a head of the writing program for the Educational Opportunity Program. I was there for eight years. Then for nearly 10 years, I was the president's writer here when it was Muriel Howard And I worked with her on her speeches, her correspondence, her public persona, her communication. And uh, that was a great deal of fun, and you get a great deal of insight into the workings of a college and into just community engagement. And then I became Assistant Dean of Arts and Humanities, which has now shifted into Arts and Sciences. But all during that time, I taught in the theater department.
0: Do the and students refer to you as a, as
1: a, you're a full professor, you're a, you're a doctor. I'm not, I'm not because I'm, I, am a, I'm a, I am a PhD, PhD Yes, uh, out of uh, in English with a concentration in drama studies from UB. Um, they call me Dr. Chase. I don't know why, but they <laughs> do. I think because I'm the only PhD in the department because the terminal degree for theater is an MFA. So the rest of the faculty have MFAs, but for accreditation, they want someone teaching the history with a PhD, I don't know why. Um, I don't think it's even required. You earned it. That's why they call you Doc. It's very, very dear. They didn't even call me Mr. until I was in in my mid-40s. When I first started here, and Deb Ellis from Art Voice, who ran all those Artie Awards, would tell you that when she was a student here, she was told, take the young guy, and they were talking about me. (laughs) Well, Classes with the um, kid. I'm playing King Duncan and old Seward now, so that's. Uh...
0: <laughs> I know the part you hate the worst is probably the same as myself. The paperwork, the politics,
1: the. I don't really take much part in the, in in that. The, the politics, to a certain degree, as assistant dean, you because just have I, to, yeah. I, I, well, well, and you also want to make it as, you want to make it as supportive as possible for students, and faculty in kind of equal measure. Because one of the best ways to serve the students is to keep the faculty productive and happy, <laughs> which some administrators forget, you know, yes. the only thing we've really got to offer is our faculty. You, know, you can go, th- go do theater anywhere. And we have a very good faculty, which I, so I'm proud to be a part of it. And that's what I do here. Well, I think we've covered everything unless you want to
0: talk about, uh, you're certainly a gay icon in Buffalo. We could talk about that for a <laughs> while. <laughs> The it's
1: state because, of it, 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 the gay community in Buffalo. We could talk about that. It's because of my undeniable sex appeal. I really think that that's the key. Well, I it. tried not to say yeah, yeah. that. Because I, <laughs> I was going to blame it all uh, on, on Javier. Well, I, I think uh, young people are so amazed that you've been in a relationship for so long that you didn't meet on Grindr. <laughs> and people, I think, put such high expectations on their relationships. It's, you know, though you're in love with someone, trust me, they will eventually reveal themselves to be flawed, and that's true of yourself as well. <laughs> and, and that you learn to be... As patient as you're capable of being which is you know often not very but but at least forgiving and you hope that others are forgiving of you i forgot to ask you you did get hired back at the news or brought back right before COVID hit i'm still there yeah i still write for the news i'm right this was colin debkowski's idea kind of a daft idea well no he Um, told me personally
0: he said he he recommended that they get somebody who knew what the hell he was doing And he said
1: you were the one that he recommended. Well, it's very, very kind of him to give that kind of recommendation, particularly considering the nature of our, the tumultuous nature of our relationship (laughs) in the years leading up. But yeah, he did very kindly um, recommend me to to, to Tony Roberto, whom I've known for decades, Mm -hmm. even from her days at the Niagara Gazette and whom I adore. And Jeff Simon was also part of this negotiation. And it was kind of different. You know, I didn't I wasn't yearning to write for them had been there done that in the very beginning of my career there were lots of reasons not to do that. And I had completely, the entire Anthony Chase brand was that I was not the Buffalo News. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Jamie Moses did for me at that art voice. Yeah, it's yeah. like the, the Anthony Chase brand is, hello, not the Buffalo not News. Not the News, yeah. But I don't know that the situation for daily newspapers across the country. You know, <laughs> though it was very fun to be not the Buffalo News, good God. I mean, for all the more reason, I don't want to lose it. It's, uh, you don't want to lose your daily paper. No. My days of trashing the news are over and not, not because of of my relationship writing for them, but just because I think you do not want to live in a city that does not have an independent daily newspaper. Absolutely. That places that do not have someone to speak truth to power as best they can, I mean, of course, they sell advertising, but...
0: All you need to do is look at Gusto and see that all the reviews right now, of course, there's not much happening theatrically, but all the reviews are coming from, you know, syndication. And, right, no and, locally
1: written book reviews even anymore. Augusta uh, was down
0: to 12 pages
1: this week. Well, I wish we? that they would come up with some equation way by which people could buy, buy individual articles for a small amount, you know, a buck or a quarter or something, because I think people would. I think so too. I have so many people saying, oh, I don't want to subscribe to that. Oh, please subscribe to that. Please, please do subscribe to that. You do. And they get frustrated and they say, well, you know, I, I tried to click on that article, but they want you to pay. Then pay. Right. It's like, you know, it just, does, it does, you don't want to lose your daily paper. I wish that they would be creative about ways that people can accept their content, because it's very good content, it is not a bad newspaper, yeah. and it's and it's the only one we have, and, and the people who, in fact, sometimes it's a remarkably good newspaper, and the people who work there are uh, the, the writers, Are the reporters are really, really good, and and they've got me. They've <laughs> got you.
0: Will somebody call you and say, Tony, we'd like you to do this, or do you submit to them ideas that of stuff you want to write about?
1: A little of both. I, I try to talk to Tony Roberto, who is a gem, um, mm-hmm. periodically. Uh, she's, a, she's also a, a huge fan of classic movies, if you want to know anything about... She's the editor of Gusto. Uh, the exact title I don't recall, I guess so. She's the editor I worry about. People are very fussy about their titles and their media just to warn you you know <laughs> but yeah they seem committed to it and let's let's keep them going
0: yes absolutely it's i
1: feel bad about the loss of art voice that's a whole other episode and maybe one that i wouldn't but do, but know. as you said to me it's still available online is it, it is you it can is. still go to yeah. artvoice.com and, and, and you can it, jamie still keeps that going yeah
0: art voice is still around tony thanks so
1: much for doing this uh, I'm honored that you'd even think of me. Uh, It's, uh, you know, uh,
0: I've been thinking about you from the beginning, but you are so knowledgeable.
1: Thank you so much. You are too kind to me that that's what I've got as a memory.
0: Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You have a good day, sir. Okay. Take care. Bye bye now. I don't know what kind of a coin. It was a nickel, a silver dollar. I don't. Oh, never mind. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tony Chase. I've been wanting to get him on the podcast for a long time. And those of you who listen to the History Podcast know that he was here a lot, but really not sort of talking about Tony. He was just sort of talking about various things that happened in the history of Buffalo Theater. And I, I will forever be grateful to him for that. Anthony Chase, one of the great resources, one of the most influential men in Buffalo Theater, arguably. So fight me. And that's it for another episode of RLTP's Off-Road. I hasten to mention that Irish Classical Theatre Company opened Waiting for Godot last week, or Waiting for Godot if you're Irish. I was there and thoroughly enjoyed a magnificent production. You should get out. This is a good sign. This is a good sign that theater is back, and I hope it's back in time for my show that opens in March. And, of course, RLTP's show, Tribes, that had been postponed, also opens in March. I'll tell you more about that next time. But in the meantime, get out and see live theater, or go to see live music. Do whatever you can to keep the theater arts and the entertainment arts going here in Buffalo. This is RLTP's Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano.